Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with today's guest and Fitz Kohler of our sports management series with the University of Florida, Sports Business Insights from Gator Nation. She is a double Gator, uh, as they would like to refer to her as, and still in Gainesville, actually, as well, using it as a home base. She travels a lot, and Fitz is going to bring some exciting uh, commentary to this episode. There's a lot that she's done and accomplished. We'll get to it. But Fitz, the one thing I've got to ask as we start, uh, you know, obviously welcome, but, you know, from all the different fitness areas within uh, the the business landscape, right? Fitness as a business. Yeah. What is the one part of the business within fitness that no one, no one understands, no one grasps, no one has really seen um, as, you know, you've explored in a lot of these different areas? that nobody grasps. Well, I don't say it's nobody grasps, but I always say that I have a master's degree in the most simple, stupid science in the world. So it's quite often a multi-billion dollar, trillion dollar industry based off of liars, you know? So there's, there's people who teach fitness in a really positive way. They're teaching people how to exercise properly eat wisely, sleep well, remove the cranky people. You know, that's the gist of being fit. And then there's all these people selling crap. It's the powders, the pills, the shake, the supplements, the snake oil. And I, well, I'm living proof that there's a way to teach fitness in an honest, ethical way and make a tremendous living without having to stoop and, and be part of that snake oil industry. So yeah, perhaps that's something because I, I do see a lot of people that've got some sort of certification out of a Cracker Jack box and man, they are hurting people left and right. Well, it's one of those things where, you know, you think about fitness as a business, right? And if you wanted to go into a career within the fitness world, there's a lot of different avenues, but Absolutely. you can also create your own avenues, right? Which is something that you've done. And I think that's, a, it's obviously um, something that people can aspire to, but would love for you to just kind of uh, enlighten our listeners on some of the things that you've been able to do and, and how you've been able to help people through fitness as a business. Yeah. So I actually started teaching fitness when I was 14 and I didn't really know I wanted to make it a career. I just knew I loved doing it. And when I decided to make a career, I, I knew that also there wasn't a job that I could have applied for that was, that would have satisfied me. I didn't want to be a gym manager. I know you can never make a living teaching classes in a gym or you know, how do you, how do I do this thing I love to do and make a living out of it? You know, and the, the living means what? I wanted to have a home. I wanted to have a car, insurance. I want to take my kids, my future kids to Disney World one day. And so there is money to be made. I mean, just think about it. Everybody in the world needs fitness, right? It's one thing everybody needs. Everybody needs to focus on their health. So there's clients everywhere. There's customers. You could have small customers, which is the little guy, or you could have big customers. And for me, I chose to go the route of big customers. So I, other than a few products, my book, my DVD, there's no route for me to take money from an individual. So I get to give all of my information. I actually get to coach people up, train them, help them honestly for free. And then the big dogs pay my, uh, pay my salary. So I've worked as spokesperson and I work as speaker in companies like Disney and Oakley and Tropicana and Office Depot they pay my bills and they do, they pay it well. And believe it or not, there is an opportunity to make a good living in fitness if you do it right. And then I, then I, again, I get to help people honestly and ethically. 
and as you you're working with some of these different companies, right? Fit the word fitness, right, can obviously mean a lot of things as well, right? You're you're talking about going to the gym every day. You're talking about working out. You're talking about what there's a whole other area where you know pro athletes or in college athletes are training, right? So the yeah. strength coach side. There's there's so many different avenues, uh, but at the same time there's just the general fitness that keeps people going every day, makes them more productive, makes them, you know, who they are, you know, allows them to succeed or even not succeed, depending on if they don't, you know, if they're not working out or this right. or that. Um, so if you, as you're working with these bigger companies, what's the message uh, or a couple of messages that you've, you know, constantly been sharing with people as, you know, how fitness impacts them, even though they may not see it right? As a line of business that they work in or, or something that they touch. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, especially when we talk on the corporate level, how some people just don't understand. They think I can't exercise. I can't work out because I've got this important job. And if you take the, the my view of it, you have no choice but to work out because you've got this important job. You've got people rely on, relying on you. You got to get up early. You got to stay up late. You have to produce, produce, produce. You have to lead by example. And, you know, first impressions, I, I was told that they were um, created within about 17 seconds. So when you show up in that manager meeting or in front of your sales crew, or you're part of the sales crew, do people look at you and say, wow, that girl's a go-getter. She's sharp. She's on top of things. She's a powerhouse. I can't wait to work with her. Or do they look and think, oh, he's kind of slovenly. I don't think he's going to put in the extra effort. You know, there's there's some real detriments to being overweight. And when it comes to a workforce, you know, people that are more fit are more likely to be productive, put in those extra hours, produce more costs less to the company because they're not out on sick time often and they're not incurring the medical bills. I mean, there's just, there is no benefit to being sick and weak. And I stand on stages around the world and I say the same thing on any given day, doing, doing any given thing, would you rather be stronger are weaker? And the answer is always stronger. There's zero benefit to being weak. There's zero benefit to being unfit or fatigued all the time. And so, you know, if you're going to invest in one thing that's going to get you the greatest results in every category from uh, relationships to your physique to finances, it's fitness. It really, you can fix your life with fitness. If you do this thing, everything will improve. And as you think about the world of sports in which we work in, right, and your people are working late hours, there it's a long season. There are, you know, long extended periods of time of travel where sometimes people just throw their fitness habits out of the window when they're on a 10-day road trip and they say, I'll just get back to it when I get when I get home, right? Yeah. There's a lot of different methods to the madness of how it works for you, right? It's not this one size fits all program. It's not this one size fits all way of going about, you know, fitness for each individual uh, because everyone has their own challenges uniquely, right? To well, true, true. However, uh, excuses only take you so far. And so I've traveled far and wide and I know for a fact that there are fruits and vegetables sold in every city, every state, every country on the planet. There's a free sidewalk wherever you go. And it, it actually introduces, in, intrigues me. I watch a lot of football, right? Football is that very fit sport. Most of the athletes are just phenomenal bodies and phenomenal talents. And then we got some coaches on the sideline who have spent their entire life in sports 
And what the hell are they doing looking nine months pregnant? It's just not okay. They have to be role models. They have to walk the walk. And as I felt as an athlete, as a kid, I didn't respect the coaches that were like, you go run. And I thought, dude, you go run. We've all said that, right? We've all looked at our coach and said, you do it. You walk the walk. And so it's, you know, sports and fitness, they go hand in hand. And of course we have a bunch of very successful, very overweight, multimillionaire football coaches running around, right? However, if you want to really impact people's life, you got to step it up. You also can't be a morbidly obese heart surgeon and have X amount of the population take you seriously. Your health matters. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, it, there are no valid excuses. You know, I just got done fighting breast cancer. I had a few months where I could not work out at all. But the second that third month was over and I had the opportunity to get up and walk two houses to get a little activity, I got it, you know? And then I went that third house and there was never a valid excuse for me um, beyond the point where chemo had really stuck its thumb on my head. And most people aren't living underneath those circumstances. The, the excuses they make are subpar at best. Well, let's let's keep on that point of excuses. Okay. It's an interesting one, right? Like yeah. I, I think- you know, you look at your story with going through, you know, cancer and, and, and beating it. And, and then as you think about just the excuse train, right, it, yeah. it builds up, whether it's, you know, small to big, whether it's just consistent, you may not even notice it, right? There's an awareness piece to it. Um, what's some of the advice that you give to people to also not only, you know, try not to make excuses or, or fix certain habits, but also like the awareness piece, right? The self-awareness piece is huge. Yeah. And I think that is the overriding principle is know who you are, not only know who you are, but know who you want to be. You know, I have this very clear, concise vision of who Fitz Kohler is, and she just wouldn't not exercise. She wouldn't gain 25 pounds. She wouldn't drink heavily. She wouldn't do those things. I know who I am. So uh, it's interesting how many adults I'll say, who do you want to be? And I go, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> okay. When, when you were 12 and you thought of the grown up version of yourself, what, is this who you wanted to be? If you were 12, looking at yourself now, would you be excited about your future? You know, if not, what is the difference? Is it the career that would disappoint you? Is it the physique? Is it your athletic, your athletic adventures or your lack there of it? So you have to know who you want to be and also who or what you're going, willing to settle for. You know, my, um, my settle scale is not so hot. I, I do not settle. I, I have a very clear focus and I'm constantly moving towards that. So you know, I asked the people watching this podcast is if the 12 year old you were looking at you right now, would they be excited about their future? And if not, you still have the opportunity to change. There is no, oh, throw up, throw in the towel while I'm done. You're not done yet. You can make changes. Even if you're a ghastly overweight or you have a job you hate, you can figure out what you love to do, pursue your passion, practice it, become great at it. And then now you have a, a career you're really happy with. You know, your body is very, very um, malleable. We can't crush your bones. And I can't make you taller or shorter. But other than that, you get to play Michelangelo based on the things you put in your mouth and the way you move your body. And, and as I've learned, there's nobody walking around shoving things into other people's mouths. So some people are like, I can't help it. I'm eating so-and-so. <laughs> somebody shoving food into your face, not usually, 
no. usually actually not ever right so um we get to make those decisions so it, it just you got to know who you are got to make the game plan and then you got to follow uh, that game plan almost to a t perfect's boring so don't ever plan to be perfect but plan to be committed and disciplined well and and, and the game plan takes different turns right in different um you know a left when you wanted to make a right or a right when you wanted to make a left and as you think about even some of your colleagues right that maybe worked in a different industry yeah. all of a sudden they got really into fitness just from a personal interest perspective and then right. all of a sudden it became their career right yeah. and there's also different avenues there and people um, think that you just have to work in a team front office or a league front office to be a part of sports but ultimately sports right as a larger you know umbrella is what impacts people and brings communities together right and fitness can do the same thing uh, yeah, and you've wonderful. obviously done uh, an amazing job with the things that you've done in your career uh, along the lines of bringing community and people together so talk a little bit about that aspect of fitness and what it can do in a similar manner to what a sports team could do in a city yeah, so with fitness, I mean, there's just so many opportunities, whether, and I've done things such as work on a cruise ship, I've worked at a resort, I've, I've taught fitness in a senior center. So you, you can go into a variety of things. And, you know, it's interesting as my career has evolved in fitness, it's always been in fitness, but that's because I was fortunate to figure out early on what my passion was and pursue that. And we find a bunch of other people going into fitness or sports later in life is that they didn't pursue their passion right away. You know, they graduated and then their dad said, Hey, I can get you a job with Henry's uh, car sales, car dealership or whatever. And so people just took a job, right. want to make a living. And with our industry, you know, people that come into the college of health and human performance, those people are usually really passionate, really excited about their opportunities. They love sports. They love fitness. They love tourism and travel. Uh, there's, they love event production, right? And then I see a lot of them just taking the job, selling the car because it was the first thing offered to them out of school. And in, instead of doing that, I really lean in when I get my hands on students and get their ear because these, uh, these careers, this field, these fields, they're worth fighting for, right? They're worth struggling. They're worth you starting out working at a low level job at the YMCA and building your way up to maybe uh, athletic director of the YMCA Gainesville and then moving up to YMCA state. And then you get a job with the Tampa Buccaneers and then you get a job with the Celtics. You know, there's, there's a way to move yourself up, but don't take easy jobs outside of this career. And I, my, my career has gone in a variety of ways, all within the same laser focus of helping people live better and longer. But over the past decade or so, I've landed in the running industry. And besides teaching clinics and corporate speaking, I am now a professional race announcer. And I host, announce, um, some of the largest, most prestigious running events in the entire country. So Los Angeles Marathon, Buffalo Marathon, Philadelphia, Big Sur Marathon, the DC Wonder Woman Batman Run Series. And, you know, what I never fathomed that 10 years ago, but here I am. And when you talk about community, 
man, the running industry, there's nothing like it. And, and the term running, I use so very loosely because we're in the 1970s and 80s, almost everybody out on the course was super lean and they had the little dolphin shorts and the high socks and <laughs> they were running, right? And yep. now if someone yep. gives me 25,000 athletes, I think maybe only 2,000 are going to run the whole way, especially if it's a marathon. And then there's going to be a couple thousand that exclusively walk. And then everybody else is doing some sort of hybrid back and forth, but they're so connected with each other. And, you know, it's an opportunity for grownups and children, people of all ages, sizes, genders, religion, races, whatever. It's basically anyone you would stumble into at Walmart at 3 a.m. lines up to run the Big Sur Marathon, <laughs> you know, so they're coming together and now they have friends, you know, there's a lot of kind of lonely people out there, but now they're part of a running group and they get to see someone every Wednesday night and have this, this community and it matters. And, you know, where most sports become challenging after high school, you know, I'm, I don't know if there's a cheerleading team for me to join. I, I haven't tried looking, but it could be tricky, right? Um, but running is that sport that anyone can jump into at any time and feel like they're a part of something and actually be a part of something. Yeah, there's some fascinating stories, obviously, around running in any part of the world, right? And, and there's every sort of distance of running too, right? With um, you know, people we've been running across country and, and all sorts of different stories that come out of it. But to your point, you know, the, the running clubs and the communities and then the fundraising, right? So there's these massive events mm -hmm. that we all talk about as sporting events, but simply it's people getting together to run, which is a simple concept, right? You yeah. mentioned kind of the simple, stupid, but it's getting people to run for a cause, which we all go to an event for a cause. We all want to support a cause. We all are supporting a team sure. or a community or whatever the case may be. It's all the same stuff, right? And as you think about these big races, you know, they're supporting a specific cause, which is helping impact that specific community in which it means something to them, right? And then it's, and then, yes, you're not just getting people together for the race. There's a whole lot of behind the scenes, right? There's a lot more people that put to put that thing together than just you, the the race announcer, right? To say ready. Right. Oh yeah, I put nothing together. All I do is put words, <laughs> sentences together. Yeah, those race directors are busting their tail all year long, and then they hire this incredible ops crew. These, you know, sometimes dozens, sometimes hundreds of people that are out there setting up barricades and finish line arches and tents for the finish line celebration, and medals have been ordered and t-shirts have been made. It's just it's a colossal production in some cases. And, you know, it's funny um, when we all gather in the swamp, right? How many people fit in the swamp now? Is that 80, 90,000 people? It's a lot. It's, it's a lot, lot, right? In running, sometimes all the people in the swamp are all the people participating in the actual event, you know? So we go football, those teams are so big, they each have 90 players. Okay, we'll go run Tokyo Marathon. I think they have 70,000 athletes, you know, that's, mind-boggling participation and it changes lives every finish line changes someone you know it's just I don't know it's a very special industry and I just love how inclusive it is and I, I seriously have had people run my marathons that have zero legs I'm still not sure how that happens but they got zero legs and they ran the marathon and my great privilege is to welcome them home and 
you know, pat them on the back and make them feel like a champion. What's the, as, as a race announcer, what's something that obviously you don't go to college and go, I'm going to go be a race announcer, right? Like that's not the, the career per se you're going to set out to have, but it's a cool thing that's kind of come along your way. And as you think about every experience you've had, there's always something that usually stands out about doing, about doing something, right? There's always something that, that sticks out of like, wow, I, I didn't think this would yield X, right? And as you think about being a race announcer, like what's that thing that you've been able to see through a different lens, through a different perspective uh, that you had no idea once you said yes to what you were going to do? Oh, Lord. I mean, it's just the goodness is amplified a thousand times over. Um, I never want the finish line experience to end. You know, I get up at sometimes 3 a.m. to head over to a start line at four races quite often, especially marathons, start really early. I never thought I'd wake up 3 a.m. really excited to wake up at 3 a.m. Sometimes I yell go at 5 a.m. and our final finisher comes in at 3 p.m. And one would think after seven, 10 hours on the microphone, I'd be done and ready to call it quits. And I'm not, I think, oh no, it's over. You know, it's just, it's breathtaking. It's great. And you know, what's required to do what I do is clearly a big personality capabilities on the microphone. My job is to welcome everybody as they arrive, make them feel wanted, excited, get them informed about the course they're about to conquer, plug sponsors. And then at that point, I feel like even if they've given me 20,000 people, I'm very unscripted. So we just talk as though we're sitting around the coffee table and uh, I feel like they're talking back to me. It's just a fun conversation. And I, if you showed up alone, you know, if you hit one of my start lines, you are no longer alone. You are a part of our team. We want you here. You know, if you're nervous about your race, my job is to calm you down. If you want to win the race or have a personal record, just beat yourself. My job is to crank you up and uh, whip everybody into a frenzy. And by the time I yell go and they all do what I've told, they leave, right? Because I told them to go. And then, and then the second they're all gone, I'm sad. <laughs> I feel like, damn it, come back. And then I go over to the finish line and wait for them. But, um, but yeah, it's great. The other thing that's interesting that I do, and not a lot of race announcers do it because most race announcers aren't professional. Some of them are like a local DJ who jumps in or a TV news personality and not always a great fit, but possibly someone that's just not afraid of the microphone. But uh, knowing the running industry as I do, I often become chiefs of security you know i'm up on a tower i have a bird's eye view of whatever's going on and so i've personally uh, wrangled up men on bicycles people on skaters uh, skateboards and scooters and i'm down on the ground manhandling people saying get off my course because any cyclist is certainly putting my runners at risk and i have a zero tolerance policy for people and shenanigans. So I'm like, you out of here. I've, I've thrown people over them. Like you get over the fence, get over now. You're not <laughs> moving another inch. So, you know, it's, it's brought a lot of things, but mostly fun and inspiration. And, you know, I feel very humbled every time I leave a race because I've seen something extraordinary. So let's take, let's take everything from the race and then let's just kind of flip the switch as we kind of wrap up the episode to, you know, how you can be a self-starter right? How you can kind of direct your own path and figure out your own career moves, whether it's something that you see in front of you or something that you didn't see coming, right? But how to take advantage when you, when you do see it in front of you at, at that point in time, 
Um, and just being able to move from opportunity to opportunity, right? You've had the opportunity to travel to a lot of different areas to work. Uh, and it's not being afraid of that, right? It's, it's, being afraid, it's not being afraid to get out and see different countries or different states and so on and, and you know, mingle with different people. Yeah, you know, fear is a is a good thing. You know, first of all, people have to decide what they're passionate about. It could be as simple as make a top 10 list of things you love to do, things you hate to do, top 10 on each, and then the top two, three things on your list, you got to put those together and create a career, right? So maybe you love cats and you love surfing. Okay, well, you're going to have the very first ever cat surf camp, right? So there's there's a way to build a career doing something you love, something you look forward to. And then when it comes to the fear part, you really have to uh, just coach yourself up. So I, when I was in grad school, I started competing as a full contact kickboxer. And so I would, I, I was fighting full contact, you know, it's a not knockout sport and I'd get it into an arena in front of thousands of people with a girl who wanted to knock my head off, you know? And so I wasn't afraid of that, but early on in my career, when I wanted an opportunity. I wanted to ask a magazine if I could write an article. They kept writing articles about me and they were terribly written and they were butcher information. And I kept, I'd go to the bookstore, open this beautiful magazine with all these great photos. And then it, they would make me look like an idiot because they were making up quotes or butchering my name. And so I was afraid to ask to write the article. And I remember after one, after one particularly brutal training session, I left the gym and I got in my Jeep all black and blued. And, it, and then it dawned on me, I thought, you know what, I really want to write that article, but if I call the editor, what's the worst that's going to happen to me? You know, and the answer is, he would say, no, okay, well, there's no bleeding, no broken bones, no public humiliation involved with asking, so I should ask. And so I picked up the phone, I was like, hey, Bob, this is Fitz Kohler, blah, blah, blah. I would really like to write this article for you. And he goes, oh, well, that would be great. How much do you want? And then I thought, oh you're going to pay me. Wow. I get to write the article and you're going to pay me. But I had been frozen with fear on making that phone call for years. And so now my gauge is always, will this break a bone, make me bleed, cause public humiliation? The odds are no. The worst thing I could get is a little humiliation from somebody telling me no. But that goes for almost all areas of business. You've got to ask for opportunities. You have to reach out at the party. First of all, you got to get your bum out and you got to go to the party or go to the event and find the person that's influential in your field. Reach out your hand and say, I'm, you know, Susie Gu. I'm a Florida Gator. I I'm really excited about what you do. I'd love to work for you. I'd love to work with you. I'd love your time. If you could give me some guidance one day, if you ask for help, almost any professional would love to give you help. So that's a starter have a business card, take the business card. And then I'm a little old school about this, but handwritten thank you note. It was so nice meeting you. I really do hope I can apply with you or meet with you, whatever it is, put it on paper in ink and handwriting, put it in the mail. And that professional is going to say, holy cow, Jacob's a really cool guy. And I want to work with Jacob. So um, you got to be a little fearless. And then if you get an opportunity, maybe you're not suited for I always say, take it and figure it out, <laughs> figure it out and show up prepared. But I've taken so many opportunities that maybe at the moment could have been out of my league. But by the time I got on those stages or in those TV studios, I was prepared. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that that word fear is like there's a lot of other really bad four letter words out there. Right. But fear 
may be to some people one of those bad words, but it's really not, right? It's, it's how do you kind of overcome that and how do you use it uh, as an opportunity, as an obstacle to propel yourself forward and, and make those jumps or that or those, those leaps of faith. As you think about, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you talk about fear and I'm like, okay, well, there's plenty of people who, whether they're trying to get into the industry or they're or they're coming from a different industry, like that happens a lot, right? And they don't want to make that jump, or they don't, they're not sure if they can make that jump, or uh, they aren't sure that that job is the perfect one for them. But to your point, you just figure it out, right? So you just take it, you run with it, you go, you figure out what you do and you don't like along the way. And, and I, I applaud you for what you've been able to do across your career thus far. And um, which has led you to, you know, let's last point is, is the fear, right? Of, of doing something new, doing something different, and then you, you come across cancer and then you write a book, right? So it's yeah. like you can go from writing an article and being a professional kickboxer to having cancer and writing a book and everything in between. Let's just touch on that last piece uh, before we go. Yeah, so I uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer last year and I had a lot of choices. I could have called in sick for the next year and a half and nobody would have blamed me, but me. I decided this is not going to take away this career that I adore, those stages I earn my rightful spot on. I also wasn't going to let cancer take away time with my kids. And so for certain at, at diagnosis, I thought, oh, this is definitely going to kill me. <laughs> I make a tra perfect tragic tale. So I'm gone. But um, thankfully that wasn't the case. Uh, chemo, radiation, surgery was brutal, nightmarish. Uh, there's not enough horrible words to describe it. However, I knew who I was. So I started off my battle by telling folks, listen, this is what I got. I'm going to be just fine. I do not want pity. You can root for me. You can root for me, but I'm going to, I'm not accepting pity and uh, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do my job and I'm going to perform as expected. And I said that before knowing how chemo would affect me, but I figured it out. And thankfully I had chosen a career and built a life that I love so much that I wasn't willing to give it up even when I had a legitimate excuse. And if we go back to excuses, man, I, I could have just sat in bed and rotted for a really long time. Instead, I went and I lived larger than most people live on a good day with cancer and I kicked its can. And then, you know what? I turned it into uh, lemonade. You know, I've got this beautiful book out. It's doing re really well. And you know, cancer patients everywhere are now saying, oh my God, thank you. This has been so, so helpful and so much fun. And then, you know, people within the running community are really enjoying it. So um, yeah, it's, it's cancer scary. I tell you, there's nothing in your career that's as scary as cancer. And sadly, some of the people watching this podcast will one day hear the big C word. And that's your chance to show who you, what you're made of. It's easy to be easy when things are going well. It's really interesting to see who you are when the chips are down. And, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the way I've handled that. And, you know, God help the world because I'm noisier than ever. And I have even more <laughs> work to do moving forward. So, um, yeah. A lot, yeah. lot of energy behind those pages. You know, I think uh, one thing we can all take, right, is, is that no matter what it is, whether it's cancer, whether it's an experience, whether it's running, there's always something we can learn from every experience and apply it to what we do right on a daily basis, whether that's, you know, the business side, whether it's on the field, on the court, you know, or simply just picking up a book and reading a page, right? I think it's, it's just as simple as that.
Yeah. And so I, this is the little gift with purchase when um, people order from fitness.com. It says I can do hard things. And, you know, that's probably something I've been telling myself my whole life. You know, you don't step into a kickboxing arena, you know, lightly. That's not, you don't play at kickboxing, right? You go in, you fight for your life type thing. And when the, when things got really scary with cancer and I had to go in for the next needle poke or the next surgery or treatment or whatever, I would tell myself I can do hard things. And, and it was internal. I wasn't saying it out loud like a weirdo, but inside I was, I was coaching myself through every step. And I just think that's a really relevant mantra for anyone doing anything worth doing, whether it's sports or fitness or school, you know, the people that got into the UF, uh, to UF, you and I both know the students at UF right now, high caliber individuals, they had to work damn hard to get into this school that was far easier to get into when I was there. And so, you know, right away, when I step in front of a classroom at UF, I know that I'm surrounded by greatness. And then they need to continue on with that greatness and they can do hard things. So um, don't be scared folks. And even if you're a, a really grown up, grown up watching this and there's something you'd rather be doing, go do that thing. Life's short. Well, I don't think you could have said that any better. So Fitz, really appreciate your time. Thank you for being a part of this series with University of Florida Sports Management Program, Sports Business Insights from Gator Nation. Certainly appreciate your thoughts, your perspectives, and your experiences and sharing them with us and, and our listeners. And uh, certainly look forward to following you uh, and seeing what you continue to accomplish along the way. Thanks, Jake. And go Gators. <laughs>